All right, guys, go be great. Episode 20. And unfortunately, I'm going to start off this podcast on a pretty, pretty rough note. Um, uh, if you have been paying attention to the news or really anything having to do with sports, um, you've probably heard this story about three young men of the uh, University of Virginia football team who were killed on a bus returning from um, a school trip in Washington, D.C. on Sunday. Um, unfortunately, two others also in critical condition and um, just a pretty pretty awful story to wake up to on Monday morning, guys. Uh, you know, being a, a college student and, you know, my my college not really anywhere close to to University of Virginia, but um just being a college student and you know just even just being a an American and a human being uh tough when when real life issues um are brought to the forefront of the sports world because I think. For a lot of us, sports is is an escape from from some of the stuff that goes on in the world and in this country. And um, like I said, it was it was really tough to wake up on Monday morning and kind of read this stuff. And uh, you know, the three young men who uh, passed away: Lavelle Davis Jr., um, Deshaun Perry. And um, Devin Chandler, seemingly from all accounts, were three three great young men, uh, three model classmates and and teammates, and um, you know, kind of a lot of of these details are gonna come out over the next few days. But it just kind of seems like the shooter was a walk on at. Virginia um in the last within the last couple of years and an injury may have derailed his his career and ended up not being a member of the team after the 2018 season so like I said a lot of these details not really out to the public yet or not known at all but um like I said kind of being a college kid and just I guess I don't want to say taking the safety of being being there for granted, but I mean you really do. Uh, I've never been on the campus of Sacred Heart one time in in my few years of being there, where I was worried about my safety or looking over my shoulder, or worried about other classmates on on campus, and obviously that's not you can't say that about every place that you'll ever go, but. Um, I can't imagine what it would have been like, A, for those kids on the bus that that will live with this and see that horrific moment for the rest of their lives. Um, the family members of the three young men who lost their life and um, also uh, just the anybody having to do with the football program, like, you know, anytime you go to bed on a Sunday and 
or maybe they didn't go to bed on a Sunday because unfortunately this happened around 10 30 PM on Sundays and, uh, the shooter was not found until Monday morning. So the lock, the campus was in lockdown from Sunday night till Monday morning. So can't imagine what any student who knew what was going on, which I'm sure every one of them did was going through at that time. I can't imagine what the kids on the trip who watched three of their classmates get shot right in front of five and three die right in front of them. Um, Can't imagine what the family members must be going through right now. And um, just wanted to open up by acknowledging that and just not that I think this is a political statement by any means, but just kind of think that the gun violence in this country is kind of just a scary just the whole everything about it i think is scary the amount of shootings we have in a year the senseless gun violence of innocent people like it's not people shooting back and forth at each other a lot of the time it's just a lot of people with you know mental health issues that clearly this young man that shot five of his classmates had something wrong with him or felt like he was in a low point of life or whatever it was to do this. Um, and I think we just, you know, our generation is so, so used to this stuff. Unfortunately, it's, it's always on the news. It's something we've grown up with, unfortunately, since Sandy Hook, which was my eighth grade year. Uh, this is something that my generation is just kind of used to and maybe a little bit desensitized to. So just kind of wanted to bring it up. I'm not sure how the gun violence issue on school campuses or in the country as a whole can get better, but I know that it's going to take an effort from everybody. So um, hopefully we can see a world where Maybe our kids and grandkids don't have to worry about this type of stuff, but unfortunately, I don't think that um, these five people are going to be the last victims of, of something so horrific. And it's just a real shame because, like I said, all accounts of these three young guys was how great classmates they were in the class, how great they were, you know, with their teammates and with their head coach, Tony Robbins, who spoke and said, uh, and he was just hoping that, um, you know, this was a dream. And Virginia's scheduled to play Coastal on Saturday. I, uh, I highly doubt that they will. I mean, one of the victims is Mike Hollins, who is a running back on the team. And so he's kind of in... I don't know if it's critical condition or having some surgeries and is going to be all right, but with one teammate in that condition and three, three have passed away. I, I'm not sure how they'll be able to practice this week without just having a really hard, hard time uh, doing so. And 
I just I don't envision them playing. Like I said, I, my heart goes out to the family members, um, the teammates, the coaches, and the whole University of Virginia student body because I, I can't imagine what the last two days must have been like. And um, I guess we'll try to move on to the rest of the episode and try to bring the, the energy a little bit. Um, this podcast is brought to you guys by Hardo Sports. And we will uh we'll move right along. Um go be great, episode twenty, guys. It's kind of a landmark. I know that first of all, twenty episodes, like kind of the way that I've gotten to twenty is shouldn't feel as special maybe as it as it is, because I guess what I've started now since um Back in la last March, I think was the first episode. So twenty episodes across nine months, with you know a little bit of stoppage in there in the middle. Um. So I I wanted to celebrate because I know. A, I mean, like I said, maybe it's not impressive to me saying it, but at the same time, I know like, at the last couple of months. hasn't really been an easy time for me necessarily. So, uh, you know, the whole pause of the, of the pod, like while I am upset that it happened, I, you know, move forward from all that stuff and 20 episodes is big. It's going to hopefully keep going for, for a long time or, you know, maybe put me in a position in life where I can do something like this with either sports media or, Or being, you know, um, a play-by-play -play broadcaster or whatever it's going to be. Hopefully, this podcast is something that helps me in my career moving forward. So, I'm going to always try to put my best effort forth. And so, for 20 episodes, I kind of, and, and it honestly came up talking today about, um, with some friends, about who I've seen in the NFL so far in my life and of the active quarterbacks that I've seen, um, I believe it's only three because I've seen Aaron Rodgers play. I've seen Tom Brady play and Geno Smith came into a game that I went to in 2017 when the giants were getting blown out. So I think those are the only three current quarterbacks that I've seen but a lot of the other ones it's just an interesting list like I, I'm a Jets fan as you guys know so I, I've seen Jets games started by these three quarterbacks Ryan Fitzpatrick um, Bryce Petty and Sam Darnold obviously uh, and so that list of all of the quarterbacks that I've seen play prompted me to do a top 20 athletes that I've seen live. So this is a very imperfect ranking, folks. I just think it's a good way. I know that most of you guys do know who I am, but we do have a big following in some places that I, I'm not familiar with. Um, you know, I have my podcast linked with rss.com, and they do a nice job of showing you where You're doing well in terms of downloads and stuff. And believe it or not, my hometown is fourth on the list. 
um, which I think is awesome just because it means that there's a couple of people out there that are really rocking with the pod that have made the numbers be bigger than somewhere where I know multiple people are downloading the pod every time it comes out. So um, those three towns uh, that I once again have no idea who they are, but I appreciate you guys tuning in every week when we try or every time I should say that we dropped the episode, which is Ashburn, Virginia. So right outside of DC, um, San Jose, California, which like I said, I have no idea. And then the last one, which I know I mentioned earlier on, and I still think is pretty awesome is, uh, Brussels in Belgium. So, um, I appreciate you guys always giving me support with the pods. And I think for those few people, it'll be good for you guys to kind of learn, you know, what I've seen so far in life and sports. And now this list kind of, you'll kind of get to know me a little bit just based on how I'm going to explain how I ranked everything. And really, it, like I said, it was an imperfect ranking. I kind of went based on what, I've seen them do in said event that I was at uh, what their, what them and their career mean to me. And uh, I guess last, well, those are two, two kind of different ways you could look at it in one, um, you know, what their career meant to me and just how good their career was in general. So um, number one should be no surprise folks, Derek Jeter, um, you know, I'm a 23-year-old young man born in the Bronx. So I've grown up with Yankee baseball my entire life. So there were a bunch of games between when I was born and probably, what, 2006 or seven that I obviously don't remember m many details from any of those games, but Derek Jeter was – the shortstop for every single one of those games. Um, probably the first one that I do remember is 2008 opening day. I was at the last opening day at the old stadium, and I'll never forget those two days because the first day, March 31st, 2008, um, rained out. We went to the stadium, uh, held out hope that after a long delay, which I remember it being almost an hour and a half delay. Uh, after an hour and a half delay, John Sterling came on to the to the you know jumbotron and it was in left field at the time at the old stadium if I'm remembering correctly and he just came on and said, you know unfortunately the game will be canceled till tomorrow. Um, so we came back the next day. And Yankees won 3-2. Um, multiple people who are going to be on this list uh, are on this list because this is the one time I saw them. Um, and so that 2008 memory is something that will always stand out to me. I, you know, that's a historic moment. Um, obviously not as historic as the last game at the stadium, but it was the last opening day at the old stadium. Um, a good 3-2 victory by the Yanks. Ma Mariano Rivera, who's number two on the list, uh, closed it out. 
And I don't think I need to explain any much further why those two guys are number one and two. Um, Derek Jeter, you know, well, both guys. I believe Mariano is the only unanimous Hall of Famer. Um, and Derek Jeter missed it by one vote. So uh, two guys that don't mean a lot just to me and to Yankees fans, but to baseball fans in general, because A, I don't think anyone hates Mariano Rivera. I think every single person, whether they're a Mets fan, a Red Sox fan, whatever it is, have the utmost respect for Mo, understand what it meant when he came in the game, um, just the absolute greatness of him. I think Derek Jeter, and most of it has to do with the fact that maybe wasn't the most physically imposing player, didn't hit a lot of home runs. From what we know now about a lot of the analytics, maybe wasn't the best defender. So a lot of more people and a lot more Red Sox fans just don't like him for the fact that we won and they didn't in in those few years. Um, yeah, I think it's no surprise that those guys are one and two. Based on the careers they had, five-time champions, both of them, uh, for the New York Yankees. And I got to see Mo a couple of times, a couple saves. Uh, Derek Jeter also, like I said, a lot of these games are games that I necessarily don't have great recollections of. Um, but I was there. So no doubt one and two, Derek Jeter, Aaron Judge. And number three, once again, should be no surprise, it's... It's the modern day, you know, equivalent to those first two, um, Aaron Judge. Obviously, hopefully he'll be back for the rest of his career. Um, and, and we'll get a little bit more into why I think he will be later in the episode. But um, yeah, Aaron Judge, man, got to see him hit five home runs this year. Uh, I can't. You know, there's not any one memory that I think stands out um, about any game before the pandemic, you know, in, in 2017, 18, or 19 that I've been to that that he had. But uh, the home run this year against Taiwan Walker was just epic. Kind of as, as loud as Yankee Stadium could get, and especially during a Subway Series game, like, to hear that loudly, how how hard he hit the ball, I think it was like 117 and the ball went like 455 or something like that. But just to hear that one second of like, it almost was like no one was there, just the crack of the bat, how loud it was. And I know we were kind of close to the field, but um, yeah, Aaron Judge, I think it's it speaks for itself. The stats are the stats. What he means to New York, especially the Yankees, fan base is is a lot um and and i hope that he'll be the face of this team and of baseball for for a long time to come he'll be the face of baseball either way wherever he goes but um yeah aaron judge number three number four is luka Doncic. so i went i've only been to one nba game and it was mavericks versus knicks um i believe that game was in January of 2019. So 
this was the first game after Christoph Porzingis was traded from New York to Dallas, but he didn't get he was either injured or didn't get a like the trade didn't go all the way through yet or wasn't official and they didn't want to play him in the garden for his first game. And so uh he didn't play, but this was Luca's rookie year and like there was so much hype about him and it was my first NBA game. I actually went to the garden for a for a nice little career event and uh at, you know they gave you complimentary tickets for making your way down down to the garden um so i got to see the mavericks and there were just a lot of like fans that were there to see him i mean you know midway through the nba season the knicks were already out of it per usual up until like the last two years where they've been decent um and so i i knew like all right uh and someone else two other guys actually from this game are on the list believe it or not um one should be pretty easy to figure out who it is, but the other might be a little bit of a mystery. Luca had 16 points, eight rebounds, five assists in this game. Nothing too crazy, but he I just do remember having like he had a couple of step back shots. Like the crowd was going wild. There were a lot of people, like I said, that were there to see him, you know, had his jerseys on from from his overseas ventures, all sorts of stuff. And you kind of look at the career that he has started off on. Um, I think that, you know, you got to put him in the top five of NBA players right now. Uh, I think the only players you can probably say are better than Luka Doncic are Steph Curry and Giannis. I think you can put Luka comfortably at three and there is potential. And, you know, Steph is kind of getting up there in age now a little bit. Um, I think you could say that Luca has a has a chance to be the best player in the NBA for a long time, um, and and you've kind of seen it so far this year. I think he's averaging thirty six eight and eight, which is just ridiculous stuff. The Mavericks are probably eight and five, and it's crazy that I know this much about the NBA. But I was checking the box scores tonight while I was also watching. Uh, the State Farm Classic between the four college basketball powerhouses outside of UNC. Um, Michigan State played Kentucky. Michigan State won. And Duke lost to Kansas. And that was fun because I hate Duke. So all that to say, uh, Luca's on a tear this season. Luca's been on a tear his whole career. And it was cool that I got to see him as a rookie First time in the garden for him. First time in the garden for me. We will always be paired um, in that way. And so that is a cool one. Uh, number five, I've got Alex Rodriguez. Now, the next four guys are all all-time greats in the game of baseball. It was really tough for me to rank all four. And honestly, I feel like I should switch around the numbers a little bit. But I'm going to stay with Alex Rodriguez here at five. Um, for as much as I loved Derek Jeter when I was younger and Mo, like Alex Rodriguez was up there for, for young Yankee fans. Like, first of all, we didn't know 
or ever think that, oh, he could be on steroids. And even when it happened, like, I don't want to say that it didn't matter. Of course it mattered. But I was too young to really have any thoughts about it one way or the other. And this guy hit 696 home runs in his career, folks. Um, you know, there's a couple of times that I've seen him play between the 2008 opening day. And I think, you know, I, I've sporadically went to games throughout his entire career. So I know I've seen him a few times at the, at the new stadium as well. Um, there's no one performance or home run or anything of the sort that like sticks out to me of what I saw. But I mean, I remember exactly where I was when A-Rod hit 500. Um, I think that is an epic Ken Singleton call. And I love Ken Singleton as well. I would have, if I was doing a 20 broadcasters list, which maybe I'll do, maybe I'll do one at some point. Um, he'd have to be on it. I love Ken Singleton. So Alex Rodriguez, I think it's unfortunate that they didn't let him get 700 and they made him retire in the middle of a season. Um, not one of the only despicable things the Yankees have done in the last couple of years, but um, we'll see how Alex's case for being inducted to the Hall of Fame goes. I think as time passes, it'll probably help and not hurt, which usually would have went the other way around, given with the 10-year um, you know, limit on being on the ballot, but now there's all sorts of committees and seems like there's a committee now for all of these guys that fall underneath the steroid era and he is one of them so i i feel pretty confident that i'll get in like i said he was as big to us that were younger and didn't really know much and also you know those first four championships we either if you're my age you either weren't alive or not really all there yet because you were one or two years old so Alex Rodriguez was right up there. Like I have, uh, and it's still up in my room. I have a picture of what's the fake Yankee locker room. My last name, number one, Derek Jeter, number two, Rodriguez, 13, and Gian B25. So it just goes to show you how big uh, he he really was to a, to a generation of young Yankee fans. Um. So number six, we're going to stay with the 2008 opening day. And I had, you know, I, I knew that he was the starter, but I just had to kind of go back and check um, to, to double check my work here. And the 2008 starter of the Toronto Blue Jays who were in New York for, for that opening series was the doc himself, Roy Holiday. So Roy Holiday and... Honestly, I may have missed another name on the list. Uh, Frank Thomas was the designated hitter and batted fifth in the game. So my apologies to the Big Hurt because I am a massive Big Hurt fan, especially with, you know, I feel like MLB the show, and I know it's going to sound maybe dumb for me to say this, but I feel like MLB the show is such a good way for people to learn about these guys that maybe they didn't see play or just heard the names or, you know, even for us, like they, they, 
They have guys that we didn't get to see play and heard, you know, from the 90s and the 80s. And for the kids that are younger than us, it's this generation of like Ortiz, A-Rod, Frank Thomas that they don't know about. They just hear the names. They just see the swings. And so I, I feel bad that Frank Thomas is not on my list. Maybe I'll try to sneak him in there somewhere. Um, but Roy Holiday started this game. He gave the the Blue Jays seven strong innings on on that on that afternoon in the Bronx. Um, starter for the Yanks was Chin Ming Chin Ming Wang. Uh, Wang handed the ball over to Jabba, and then Jabba handed it over to the best closer of all time. So that was pretty cool that I got to see all that. Um, anyway, the doc went seven innings, seven hits, three earned runs because he gave up a home run to Melky Cabrera. So it just shows you a lot of Yankee history, I guess you could say right there. Um, three strikeouts, two walks. So a pretty solid performance in the doc. Unfortunately, the doc was taken from us uh, too, too young in a uh, one person plane accident. Um, believe that must have been twenty, the early parts of twenty twenty. I mean, it feels so crazy that it's already been two years, two and a half years. But um, this time that since COVID started has really been a whirlwind, and things kind of get lost, and like it doesn't really feel like it's been that long, but it has been that long. Um, Doc, uh, what a you know, the only thing I can say about besides his performance was when he got inducted into the Hall of Fame, uh, I thought that his wife's speech was was touching, and um, it was a really nice gesture by MLB to uh, to offer her to or to offer to let her do that, or if. It was her idea, a nice job by them to let her get up on that stage and uh, honor her, her late husband's legacy because there was a great legacy from from what I understand off the field as well. So um, RIP Doc, and we'll move on to number seven, Albert Pujols. So I saw Albert play only once, um, and it was in a game – in Tampa back in 2018. So my only time visiting the Trop. Um, this was an interesting game because the Heen dog, Andrew Heaney, was the starter for the Angels. A lot of Yankees fans don't like Heaney because he was traded for last year and was pretty bad. Um, I think Hunter Wood was the opener for the Rays, and then they handed it over to Jalen Beeks. Um yeah, Albert was the DH, batted fourth, uh, didn't do anything of note. It looks like he had a hit and scored a run. Um, we were going just because we wanted to see Tampa's ballpark. Obviously, the Angels being in town was was an added bonus at the time because Shohei was a rookie. You had Albert on the team. I mean, if you're really a baseball enthusiast like Justin Upton, meant a lot to a younger generation of or to a generation of fans that are probably like my age maybe a little older um 
and and you had Trout who was hurt at the time or just had gotten hurt, so uh missed out on seeing Trout. He was hurt. We missed out on seeing Otani because we left the game in the sixth inning to catch our flight out that night back to New Jersey. So we missed the Shohei Otani pinch hit appearance. Thank God we didn't miss anything. I think he either grounded out or struck out. Um, but another guy that means a lot to this generation of fans and really to all baseball fans, I think, um, you know, I think it means a little bit more when like you grow up with a player and like, like for us, Albert has played, you know, I can officially check the stats, but he has been playing my entire life. Like he, he had a 20 year career. So anytime, you know, you flip on sports center at night, like there was Albert's like, and when we were between the ages of like seven and, and 10, you know, back in the first stint with the Cardinals, like that was must see TV. So, I think seven is a good ranking for Albert. He finishes with over 700 home runs, which was really nice. Um, and and when he's on the ballot, he'll automatically be first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, I don't think he's going to get the unanimous uh, decision. I think that's only going to happen, you know, in very rare cases. But I feel like Mariano is is going to be probably on a very short list of guys that, that will be able to say that. Um, and so Albert, number seven. I've got CC Sabathia at eight, folks. Uh, only can recall seeing him pitch one time, and it was the only time, and shout out to to Spez and Mr. Spez, uh, two, two great supporters and great supporters of the pod. Um, my only time being in the, in the legends seats at Yankee stadium, those are the ones right up next to the field and behind the dugout with all the great food options underneath the bleachers, um, buffet style, by the way. So get your money up and, and make sure you get down there because it is really the only way that you should experience a baseball game. Um, like. There's a whole wall of candy and Cracker Jacks before you step out and see the field. And it, it really is the only part of the stadium, I feel like, that gives off like old stadium vibes because when you come out from underneath the club, you have to walk up to the field. Like you can't see the field yet. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're just right there behind home plate. So. I remember at the old stadium, like around everywhere, you couldn't see down to the field unless you started walking through the tunnel and then you had to like, you know, look down or up based on where you were going. So um, I, I, it was a really good vibe. I think CC, it was a game against the Nationals. I think he pitched like six innings in this one and, uh, you know, came over in 2009 to the Yanks, uh, was a, integral part of that 2009 championship and yeah i mean it was an honor to see him finish out his career with the yankees he was real good vibes on in that clubhouse the last couple when he was really seen as the as the clubhouse veteran um and another guy 
I mean, he's going to be on the ballot. I don't know. I don't think he'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think he'll get in, but I don't think first ballot. Um, but he does mean a lot to all Yankee fans, and he is number eight on my list. So number nine is Aaron Rodgers, and it's not because, like the other eight, that he really necessarily means a lot to me. I think I can turn on football and understand, like especially given the fact that I played the position, how great he really is like in terms of talent probably better than Tom Brady in terms of winning football games and accolades not better than Tom Brady um and I have left Tom Brady off of this list somehow and he shouldn't have been so I apologize about that um so we'll say that Aaron Rodgers is 9 and Tom Brady's 10 because I saw Aaron Rodgers play against the Jets back in 2018, an overtime game that Aaron Rodgers got the ball first in overtime, went right down the field, threw the ball to Devontae Adams in the end zone for a game-winning touchdown. Um, and like I said, another guy that people my age have grown up with, really only knowing one or two quarterbacks for the Green Bay Packers if they're old enough to remember uh, Brett Favre. Um believe he's the two-time reigning MVP of the league in the last two years, and I know the Packers aren't doing necessarily great right now, but he is um, He's doing... I feel like he's playing well for what he has, and I think there's a lot left in the tank. I know that he's made himself a little bit of a public enemy based on like what he has said in the media the last two years, and also the fact that you know he's on the Pat McAfee show and people don't like that, and you know all this other stuff that people pretend to care about. Um, I think he does have a few years left in the tank. We'll see how long he wants to keep going um and so we'll say the 10 is tom brady i've seen tom play twice against my jets i'm one and one in those games um so that i feel like is good i mean if you're a long time Jets fan, your record is probably really shit against Tom Brady if you've been to a lot of games. I've only been a fan, really, I can say, since about that, that 2015 season. So, first game, it's week 16. Uh, Brady and the and the Patriots come into the house at 12-2. and two. Jets are 9-5. and five. Um... And somehow we win the game in overtime. I'll never forget. That was like, I I had been to one NFL game before, but it was in 2006 and I was, you know, six years old. So I don't really remember that one too well. So it was really like my first NFL action, especially first being a fan. And it was such a great season up until that point. We were fighting for a playoff spot. The whole Matt Slater maybe called the wrong thing on the, Coin toss and overtime happened. Quincy Inunua, who 
barely played after that, had a big catch in overtime, and then I'll never forget Eric Decker's catch on the rollout right. Um, and he, 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 like I said, Anunwa barely ever played again. Fitzpatrick, I think he played one more season. Like all those guys were just there for to prove that they were they belonged in the NFL, that they could win. They did win. Unfortunately, the next week they did not win. And you know, that was the last time that the Jets really had a chance at the playoffs. Um and so I think that's a big reason as to why. People are, I mean, listen, it's tough to win in the NFL anyway, but people are excited about the Jets right now because there has been such a long time since they've played meaningful football. Um, and so that game, but the other game, unfortunately, was Monday Night Football back in 2019 where uh, Sam Darnold was seeing ghosts. So um, 11's Gronk. I love Gronk. I never even hated Gronk when he was on the Patriots. It was just pretty frustrating to watch the Jets try to guard him because, first of all, the Jets perennially don't guard the tight end. And then you take the best tight end, you know, ever and put him on the field, and it's usually going to be pretty tough. Um, I feel like in that game back in uh 2015 he had a pretty good game we had a tough time guarding him on the first drive but after that maybe we figured it out a little bit don't remember necessarily 2019's game like i said seeing ghosts was bad like we already we knew it happened when we were in the stands because of twitter and you know i was I did have a lot of fun because I was with the Hardo boys. That was like a, a big outing for us. Um, but yeah, one and one against Tom Brady in my career. Don't know if you know who knows how long Tommy B is gonna go for. He's two and zero since his divorce of Giselle, and I don't think you know. I hate to say it, but I don't think it's a coincidence, folks. Um, the man had had. Uh, a lady in his life that was trying to make him quit what he loved. I'm sure that it didn't help his play on the field or or if, if it may have felt like a distraction to the guys and all of a sudden, here are the Bucks with two straight wins. So, um, Tom Brady at number 10, like I said, who knows if I'll see him play again. But who knows how much longer he's going to play for. So, Tom Brady at 10, Gronk at 11, Number 12 is Darrell Revis. Now, like I was just mentioning to you folks, I was really only a fan of the Jets from the 2015 season on. And uh, so we got Revis back for the 2015 season from the, I believe, the Buccaneers. Um, and he was pretty good in that 2015 season. Unfortunately, the next season, he kind of, his his body kind of gave out on him. Um, but you know, if you're a real Jets fan, you know, and I'm not saying that I'm not, but if you're a Jets fan that has been with this team longer than I have, like there was a time where he was the number one player and he was locking up the best player every week and shutting them down. Uh and we may have that again 
in Sauce Gardner. So that's pretty cool. Um, I don't necessarily remember one thing that Revis did uh, in the game in 2015 against the Patriots, but he had to be on there just based on him being an all-time Jets great um, and the fact that I had seen him play in one game. So 13 is Bryce Harper. I love Bryce Harper. Um, I was obviously hoping the season after that I saw him, which uh, was 20 – well, two seasons after because he won the, the World Series the next year. Um, I was hoping that the Yankees would go after him and, and bring him bring him home. Unfortunately, didn't happen. Um and and he ended up going to Philadelphia, but uh he was a really great player for the Nationals. He is a great player once again for the Phillies and probably one of the best two or three baseball players alive right now. I mean, he did all of that this off season, you know, not being able to play the field with an arm injury, but was still, still getting up there. And, and hit, I think he hit like 300 this, this postseason. So in the game where CC Sabathia started and I sat in the nice seats, Bryce Harper, I believe batted third or fourth and was the designated hitter. He was hit by a pitch. In this game, I remember him being pretty angry about that. Um, and I thought, I once again, pretty similar to Revis. I'd only seen Bryce Harper play once, but I feel like he's an all-time great in Major League Baseball and definitely one of the best of the generation that um, I, guess, I guess is that my – generation has seen grow up in the M in the MLB so had to include Bryce Harper at 13 and for number 14 I'm going to go with Eli Manning so my football journey is a little interesting because I started out as a Giants fan unfortunately my dad passed and I only rooted for the Giants for the rest of the season and then they won the Super Bowl that season and my eight-year-old my eight-year-old self thought, oh, there's no way. Like, it's so hard to win the Super Bowl. I'll never win again. Obviously, they won again a couple of years later. Um, but I did see Eli Manning only play once, once again. It was a bad, bad game. The Giants were going to be in a rough spot anyway. Like, it was late in the season already. I think it was November. So it must have been, like, week 11 or, or 10 or whatever it was, but uh, the Rams came into town and they beat up on 51-17. Eli Manning was the starter, though, and given the fact that I was a big-time fan of the Giants that season when they took down the undefeated Patriots, had to get Eli on this list. And the starting defensive tackle that went against him was Aaron Donald in this game, and he's number 15. He did have a sack in this game. Um, and there is one more Ram uh, later on in this list. Um, so number 16, we're going back to the to Madison Square Garden from that one NBA game. Uh, it was Dirk's last time in the garden. So the Knicks started to get blown out by the Mavericks. Dirk hadn't really played early on in the game, but they brought him in for like 
the entire last seven minutes of the fourth, and no one else touched the ball. Like, they just kept feeding it to Dirk. He just kept taking fadeaways. It was so, like, the whole crowd that was left there was going crazy for Dirk. So I had to leave Dirk on there. Um, a one-time NBA champion that was able to lift his team over LeBron James and Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. Like, that, to me, is such a vivid memory of, like, oh, there's no way the Mavericks could beat this team. And I think the biggest reason they beat them is because they had one of the best players um, of all time on their team in Dirk. And just what a basketball acumen. Like, to not be the most athletic and to still make that much of an impact on the game and the game overseas and everything like that, um, had to get Dirk on there. So Dirk, number 16. Uh, 17 is Jordan Alvarez. Like, and I know he's an, he's an Astro, but I, it's just, he is such a damn good baseball player that you have to put him on the list. You have to respect him as a fan of the other 29 MLB teams. Um, in 2019, I went to two out of four Astros games of the series and Jordan hit two home runs in the game that I went to and both of them were just like kind of how I mentioned with the Aaron judge home run, like off the bat crowd, silent, loud bat. Oh my God. I can't believe that someone hit the ball like that. And his were more like lower line drives, like really hard hit, not as much as the Aaron judge, like bomb, but um, I just have a, an immense respect for Jordan Alvarez's game. It is unfortunate that he's on the Astros and um, has, you know, it was tough to be in the stadium and and have have the season basically ended right in front of me in game three of the ALCS this year, but have to respect Jordan. So the last three, um, I had Cooper Cup on here, but because I accidentally left off Tom Brady, I'm going to remove Cooper Cup and I'm going to put John Carlo Stan. Um, John Carlo has been just as big of a piece to the Yankees as, as whoever you could name as the number two behind Aaron Judge. Uh, when he's healthy, I think it's no doubt that he's one of the best home run hitters in the league still. Unfortunately, he's not always healthy. Um, he has hit a couple of big home runs. I think uh, this season, I went to the game against the Yank uh, against the Red Sox, the first game in the Red Sox series this year, and he hit a home run. He actually hit two home runs in games that I went to this year, and both of them were to tie up the game. One against the Astros, one against the Red Sox. Both times, I feel like the stadium was shaking, and it was a regular season game. So, um, like I said, Giancarlo uh, has been a big part of the Yankees the last few years. Hopefully, will be a part of a Yankees championship team here in the next few. And always seems to come up with a big home run. And so, he's number 18 on my list. Um, 19 is Hideki Matsui. Uh, 
can only say that I saw him play opening day 2008 and probably if, you know, if I went to a few games in 2009, which I feel like I at least went to one, he was probably in the starting lineup as the DH. He did win the 2009 World Series MVP, so he has a special place in my heart. But not only for that, um, when I was younger, went over to the Staten Island Yankees Stadium for a meet and greet that was sponsored by Mizuno with Hideki. Um, have some pictures with Hideki. Family members all tell me how nice he was. You know, I was four or five years old at the time, so I don't really remember. But um, what a what a guy! And he threw out the first pitch at Game Three this year. And I honestly had like a tear welling up in my eye. It was really a nice moment. Um, and so last but not least, another uh, this this one's a real troll number twenty, folks. Um, it's Harrison Barnes. So Harrison Barnes was a member of the Mavericks in that one game that I've been to in the in the NBA. Um, and he's not on there for anything he did that night. Um, he was a North Carolina Tar Heel, and he is the first group of players with John Hansen, Tyler Zeller, Kendall Marshall. Like that 2012-2013 team is the first team that I really like started to follow college basketball like that, and I love college basketball so much. Their picture, their team picture from the beginning of the season – is still in my room. It's the only banner like or anything to do with sports really besides the Yankees in my room. So there's nothing Jets in my room. There's really just the Yankees like memorabilia and the one picture of me, Giambi, uh, Jeter, and Rodriguez jerseys all together in the locker room. Um and then there's the 2012-2013 Tar Heels, which really uh, made me love college basketball. I still have a Harrison Barnes jersey. It's like a youth XL. And whenever the Tar Heels are, are involved in March and, and early April as well, the jersey comes out. Um, the jersey came out this year for the Duke-UNC final four game and i tweeted at harrison in the jersey and he he liked the tweet so he knows i exist that's pretty cool and so that is another reason that he made the list number 20 so i feel like i probably took a little bit too long with that so if you skipped a little bit through it i don't um i'm not mad at you in any way shape or form i just like i said i wanted to do something a little bit fun to commemorate 20 episodes i wanted to do something so that you guys could be a little entertained because I feel like I just kind of talk and give my thoughts and maybe I'm not the most entertaining podcaster so far. Um, and I also wanted to get the listeners who don't really know me to know me a little bit better. So I think hopefully I, I did all three of those and we will move on to the rest of the episode. So, um, I have two small points about the two sports that haven't been covered as much, which are the NBA and the NHL. Uh, I'm going to quickly talk about how the Yankees signed back Rizzo and 
an article I read about the backup plans for if we lose judge to free agency. Um, then we'll do the old NFL recap of this week. Looking forward to next week, especially for the Jets and Giants. Both have pretty big games. I guess the Giants really just have a big game going forward the rest of the way because the NFC, well, both teams, but the NFC East is only currently a one-game deficit for the Giants. And so going into that game on December 11th with the Eagles at MetLife, they could be in a spot where if they won, they would be in first place. And I know that would be Bedlam in northern New Jersey if that happens. So um, we'll have to talk about the Jets and the Giants once again this week, as well as some other crazy NFL stuff that happened. Uh, the college football playoff. And then the picks. The picks were... Weren't great, folks. I won't lie to you. One and three on the NFL this week for an eight, 16 and two record. Gross. But the college football picks went two and one. And that record is 15 and 12. So that's the layout for the rest of the episode. We'll do the two quick points first about the two sports that haven't been followed much, which are the National Basketball Association and the National Hockey League. So you guys want to know why I can't follow the NBA that closely, folks? Well, look no for, no look no further than the dumpster fire nets. And I know that they've looked a little better since Kyrie has been suspended um, because I've seen, like, highlights on SportsCenter and whatever. And they I know they've won a couple of games. I know, you know, a lot of my friends are Nets fans. So, But the Nets gave up 153 points in regulation tonight. The leading scorer was Terrence Davis, who had to look up who he was and where he went to school. And he had 31 points on 7 of 10 from 3. Like, I don't need to go watch the highlights to know that Terrence Davis probably shot 10 wide open threes. And, like, if that's the effort that's being put forth on on any given night, uh, I have no interest, honestly. I'll be here like to give you the main storylines, especially we'll keep our eyes on what happens with Kyrie. Like he still has his six points to get through before he can return to play. And he has not met all of them just yet. So we'll see if he comes back after this road trip, but I don't think so. Um, and that's the reason I can't follow the NBA right now, folks. Like, this is a disaster. A game that was played for four, 48 minutes had 280-ish points scored because it was a 153 to 121 loss. I mean, that's just a disaster. No one wants to watch that. So unless you are a fan, of course, of the teams, but I'm not. And uh, the NBA will seldom be followed, I think. But to a sport that doesn't get followed enough, seemingly, and especially one team who has won 10 straight, the hometown New Jersey Devils, folks, 10 straight victories. I'm all in. It's over. You'll you'll see me within the next month. And once again, shout out to the Spezaferas because I'll be in there probably in some nice seats. Uh, we've been to a couple games over the last few years. Um but I might have to be a paying customer of this team at this point. Ten straight, and I'm in. I've, and you know, 
to go back to the point of basketball and how badly it had to have, how bad the defense had to have been for a guy I've never heard of to have 31 points. I don't think I've ever turned on a hockey game and not been entertained. I don't think I've ever been at a hockey game, whether it be uh, my high school at Bergen Catholic, my college of Sacred Heart, or the professional Devils, Rangers, whomstever. I don't think I've ever been to a hockey game or turned one on and thought, I'm bored, this sucks, I don't want to watch this. So, like I said last episode, we're going to have to get on the hockey, and if the Devils keep winning... I mean, we might be full-blown fans. Like, I'm excited to get into that arena and see them be good because I've been now the last few seasons where they were already in bad spots to start the season, and it wasn't at, you know, the fans were engaged, but not as engaged as I know they'll be with the team that has won 10 straight. So hopefully this hot start by the Devils can be um, translated at least into playoff hockey because I think the Devils fan base deserves it. I feel like you you would have to really compare them to the Jets and Giants fan base. Like So many of these New York teams have just been bad for the last few years that like you go into the season and like I kind of said in the beginning of the year with football, like, it doesn't even feel like you're a part of it in terms of being a fan. Like I would turn on football the last few years to, to watch Scott Hansen, to watch my fantasy football scores and like, you know, turn on the jets game for a quarter and then they're out of it. And like, now I don't want to watch this anymore. I feel like the devil's fans can relate to that type of stuff. And, you know, in some cases, those people are the same people who are from this area and, you know, live, 10 minutes from one stadium, 20 minutes from the other. Um, And I'm going to be all in on the Devils. Hopefully I can give some like either entertaining hockey stuff or some at least something that resembles coverage of it. But I know that for the next episode, I'll be watching. I think the Devils play again. Um, I mean, they must play between now and Friday, so. Next time that they play, I'll be on my seat. I watched the first period of a game on Friday. Was that Friday? I don't I'm not really sure, but it was two two after the first period. Unfortunately turned it off um because it was getting late, but then they did win via um overtime four on three goals. So awesome stuff you know you don't win 10 straight in any sport in american professional sports without being good so i think the devils are good we'll see just how good they are as the season progresses and and we'll be on it a little bit so um gotta bring up the yankees of course uh but this time it's for some somewhat good news um, Anthony Rizzo was offered the qualifying offer, which he should have been because had he wanted to go elsewhere and he was going to always decline the qualifying qualifying offer. Um, had he gone elsewhere, we would have gotten picks back for him. Um, I think it's a really good sign that the Yankees signed him back so early in the offseason because I just don't 
envision a scenario where he comes back and Judge didn't also come back. And I thought it was going to be the other way around where Judge signed first, but I don't think Rizzo would have signed without talking to the owners, which are the Steinbrenner family, and just kind of gauging like what they think is going to happen with Judge. Um, the entire Yankee front office had a chat with the Yes Network for the first hot stove episode of the season. And they said that they've talked to Judge um, more than once. And so we'll see. I think, I don't think he's like Machado or Harper in the sense. And also, those off seasons were a little bit different. I think he wants to sign early because I don't think he wants to be worrying about it like too much longer than it already has went on because he could have, you know, been signed before the season and didn't. And then it kind of carried into the year being one of the things that was talked about. And now, you know, once he signs, then the rest of the off season can happen. Um, so I think he wants to win first and foremost. He wants to take care of his family, probably just as much and feel like he got paid what he deserved. And so I think, I think he'll be back. I've been saying I think he'll be back. I think Rizzo coming back makes it look pretty good for us. Um, and in the event that it doesn't look good for us, John Heyman thinks that we're going to sign Trey Turner or Carlos Correa. First of all, it would make absolutely no sense for us to go after one of these high-end shortstops right now. I don't even think it would make sense for us to go after Dansby Swanson, who's like a little bit younger and I know he's not as good as the other two I mentioned, but he's up there. Um, what sense would it make that at the end of the season, we ended with not one, but two of our middle infield prospects on the active roster, and they're saying that Volpe's going to start the season on the active roster as well. So that's three middle infield prospects for two spots. And then you add in the fact that for the rest of the, you know, the other options are IKF, JD, DJ, and Glaber. So that's four players to be, what, two spots, like one starting third baseman and one utility guy. Uh, so what sense would it make for us to drop all that money, sign a shortstop, one of which no one's going to like, the other, who's going to be good? Like, Trey Turner's would be really good. It's not that he's a bad player. Or it's not that he wouldn't. It's just we should have we should have Aaron Judge. We A, we should have Aaron Judge. B, we don't need to. We've been hyping up these middle infield prospects saying that, they're going to come up and be so great. They're going to be so great. And there's been plenty of times before where we said this and it didn't happen. So this front office, I feel like they need this to be, they need to be right about this. Cause if they're not and they don't win again next year, like if you thought the cries for getting them fired were loud this year, I mean, it's going to be all over the place. So,
John Heyman, typical, just spewing BS about how the Yankees will sign the one position that they just don't need. Like, I know that it looks so bad this year, but they should have never had IKF as the starting shortstop in the first place. If Oswald Peraza was good enough for you to start an ALCS game, he should have been good enough to start the first game of the season too. So um, that's where I stand on that. I think Rizzo is good for the Yanks, regardless of whether Judge comes back, but I don't think he would have came back without him feeling like Judge would be next. Um, And so we'll move off of baseball and the unintelligent writer that is John Heyman. And we will move to the NFL. What a week in the National Football League this week. Um, All headlined by the Bills and Vikings game. So kind of leading up to the game, Josh Allen was considered questionable. Didn't really practice much. And I kind of think, like looking back on the game, maybe not practicing They probably didn't help Josh Allen in any way, but at the same time, like a player who has practiced the same system for multiple seasons, like the the court, he should practice. I think it would obviously help. And I don't think that it caused many of the mistakes that happened in this game. And I walked away from this game against, you know, between the Bills and the Vikings thinking, that the Vikings are the best team in the NFC. And I walked away from it thinking about the Bills that I don't think it's a Josh Allen regression because I think that would just be me showing my hand of A, being a Jets fan, and B, being a Jets fan that thought Josh Allen was a bust after one season. Um, But I think it does kind of show you, like, that he shouldn't be I think there's tier one there is one tier one quarterback and his name is Patrick Mahomes and if you want to start off with Josh Allen as the tier two QB I'm fine with that but you can't tell me that in that game if Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback that the Bills lost the game because he just doesn't make the same mistakes that Josh Allen made the last two weeks. I mean, there has been a couple throws that Josh Allen, I don't know if he didn't see the defender or what, but just bad decisions with the football. And, you know, part of it could be the fact that the running game can't be relied on for the Bills. Um, Part of it could be the fact that in some of these games, given the injuries to some of the defense that he knows He's got to really ball out, and sometimes, like, for example, on the last throw of the game, um, threw the ball right at Patrick Peterson, who easily undercut the ball. Like, it was not open in any way, shape, or form. But he he wasn't under pressure. Like, he made the pressure himself by moving it up in the pocket a little bit and getting happy feet, and, like, that shit, that can't happen. And it especially can't happen when you're 6'5", 250 pounds, 
And if you step up to the pocket to the left and get out of it, which he easily would have, he probably could have scored running the ball because every defender was in the middle of the field guarding Stefan Diggs, obviously. So um, I think the story has been the same with Josh Allen the whole time he's been in the NFL. He's just gotten significantly better at a lot of things. I think there's just sometimes where in his head he has to do like he tries to do too much and sometimes it comes back to haunt him. And I think in the last two weeks you saw it. He threw a pick when they were up ten. Um and that kind of got the the Vikings back in the game. And what happened after that was kind of crazy, folks. I know I've been talking a lot about the Bills and how they lost the game but holy hell did Justin Jefferson go off in the fourth um and there's been an interesting trend where like Jefferson goes off the first drive of the game scores and then you know he does pretty good the rest of the game but not as great as that first drive where he gets like his first four easy catches like 50 yards right off the bat sometimes a touchdown but Coming out of the two-minute warning, fourth and 18, if the Bills get a stop, the game's over. Kirk doesn't really have anyone open, fires it out there. The defender of the Bills is under the ball. Like, And I know I'm going to describe this whole play, and you guys have probably seen it a million times. But, I mean, if that Bills defender doesn't get his hand like somewhat on the ball, I don't think Jefferson even can make that catch because I think – in like originally he controlled the ball for Jefferson a little bit and then Jefferson kind of pulled it away and like made the rest of the catch and like pinned it onto his wrist and I like that is it's not better than the Odell Beckham catch for me but given the fact that it got them like if he doesn't make that catch the game's over and then none of this happens it automatically makes it one of the best catches I think ever in a regular season game um, because what ensued after is just bonkers stuff. Um, so they get down to the one on third and goal. At first it was scored a touchdown, but they reviewed it and said he was down at the one. Fourth and goal, Dalvin Cook drops an easy touchdown, but it's a flag on offside, so it's fourth and goal again. Um, which I thought it would have been a first, but I guess since it's end goal, it, they can't give you a first and like a new set of downs. Um, Kirk goes for the sneak, no good. So you think it's over, but you know they're down four. There's 44 seconds left, and I saw from a few people, and I don't know if I hope not. I hope there was no one paid to talk about football that said you should have taken a safety down four with 44 seconds especially with Justin Jefferson and Kirk on the other and I know I'm just talking about Kirk Cousins like a superhero but when you have a player like Justin Jefferson that can just get open like double coverage no problem single coverage automatic you can't take a safety like just say that the Bills take a safety right so now you're 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 up to you're punting the ball back 
to the same guy that just made a 4th and 18 conversion on a one-hand catch with 44 seconds. So the clock will run on the kick. If it's a good punt, because the ball will be at the 20-yard line, if it's a good punt, your returner catches the ball at the other 10. That's if it's a great punt. It was a little windy, like maybe he catches at the 20. So let's just say he gets the ball back to the 30-yard line, right? There's probably 30 seconds left on the clock, and you have to get 30 yards in 30 seconds to kick the game-winning field goal. You can't do that. That's an automatic loss. So I don't know why people thought that like after the fact that was the right call because it wasn't. The right call was exactly what the Bills tried to do. Unfortunately, Josh Allen fumbled the snap. Now, of course, given the fact that the ball is on the one and you know there was a lot of diving and put like I never saw whose fault it was, but I know that of all, and like I said, I played quarterback, and I didn't have many snaps under center, but I can say that the ones I fumbled, they were all my fault. Like, the ball hit my hands, and I just didn't get it cleanly. So I think that's probably what happened. Now, I can say that given the fact that the alignment was with one nose tackle and probably one guy over each guard, and that they were probably diving straight down to try to push him back for the safety. Cause like I said, a safety, you got to feel pretty good chance, pretty good about your chances of winning the game. Um, it could have been the fact that the center snapped it too quick, never really got it all the way back to where his hand was because he was trying to push back the defensive tackle. But like I said, I didn't really see any video of it to, to know for sure. So, I walk away from it saying I think the Vikings are the best team in the NFC. I think that the Bills are considered better than the Chiefs, and they shouldn't be. And maybe they shouldn't be considered better than the other two teams in the AFC East either. We'll have to see what happens in the second matchup with the Bills between the Bills and the Jets. But right now, like if if you told me, all right, you're lining up uh, a home game at MetLife, who do you want to play, Dolphins or Bills? I'd rather play the Bills. The Dolphins have Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. And a quarterback that has not made many boneheaded mistakes. And you can see that there's so much talent with Josh Allen. I'm not questioning that. It's just the fact that when, like, he has shown more, like, in some big spots, I don't want to say more often than not because that's not fair, but he has shown in some big spots to make some boneheaded plays. Um, and I, I also think the Dolphins can run the ball. The Bills can't. The Dolphins' defense is healthy. The Bills' defense is not. The Miami Dolphins, I think I already mentioned it, but their wide receiving core 
is fantastic compared to the Bills. Like the Bills have Stephon Diggs. That's all great. They have Gabe Davis. He can run down the field and beat anybody. But those two Miami Dolphin wide receivers are game breakers. So, yeah, I would rather I, – I would go ahead and say that the Dolphins right now are better than the Bills. Like, we beat the Bills at full – with – I don't want to say full strength because I know I just said their defense has been hurt. Um, But we beat the Dolphins with their third-string quarterback. Like, I'm not saying that the win doesn't count. Everyone in the NFL counts. But we'll see what happens when we play the Dolphins in Week 18. I think they're a really good team. I think the Chiefs are the best team. Um, and I think that in the AFC, there's a couple of teams all right there in that second tier. The Bills would be one of them. I think the Jets and the Dolphins also one of them. But if you told me who am I more afraid of right now, I'm saying Miami more than the Bills. So um, more NFC drama and your boy, I don't want to say I knew it was coming. Because I didn't think the Eagles would lose, but I did have my one winning pick as Commanders plus eleven. Um, the Eagles lose their perfect season at Lincoln Financial on Monday night. Um, Taylor Heineke is not the best quarterback I've ever watched, but he does have a lot of heart. I think that the guys in that locker room like bought into him and. Then they brought in Carson Wentz, who wasn't someone that they really were familiar with. And he also stinks. And it was a tough couple of first weeks. But now since Taylor Heineke's been the starter, they're 3-1. and one. Um, They're one game out of a playoff spot after a rough start to the year. And even though the intangibles for Carson Wentz are a lot better, I think the decision-making... And the belief that they can win is a lot higher with Heineke, and I think they should keep him. Um, I also think that the Eagles, much like the Bills, are a little bit overrated, and I'll tell you why. If you look back at the Eagles' schedule, and I know I said it last week, it's just they didn't play that many great teams. It's simple as that, and they kept in a lot of close games. Every win in the NFL counts. They easily could have lost some of those games, so you have to give them credit where credit's due. But if they play like they played last night against some of these teams they have left, Green Bay, Tennessee, Dallas, the Giants, they're going to lose because the commanders just showed you what the blueprint is. And really, it's the blueprint in the NFL as a whole. But all of those teams, and I know Green Bay's what Green Bay's record is, but all of those teams are better than the Commanders. All of those teams have a better running back or running backs than Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson. All of those teams outside of the Giants have better passing attacks than Taylor Heineke and Terry McLaurin. And I love Terry, but I would have to take at least C.D. Lamb. Uh, maybe Terry is the best wide receiver out of any of those other teams that I mentioned they could lose to. But he had a great game. 
eight catches, 128 yards. Um, so I think they showed you like run the ball a lot. Um, you know, keep that offense off the field and like you, you can get a couple wins. So I think they could lose to those teams. I mentioned green Bay, Tennessee, Dallas, they play the giants twice. And the first time is at MetLife. So if they lose three out of those four games that I mentioned, um, that would be like 13 and four or 12 and five. If they go 12 and five, like I don't think they would win the division. If 13 and four, probably, but we'll see how the Giants finish up. Like I think their schedule is pretty, pretty, I don't want to say easy, but I feel like it favors them over the Eagles the rest of the way when there's only a one game gap. Um, and so I'm going to go out on the hot take and say that they don't win the division and that it's one of the Cowboys or the Giants. And that when they don't have a home field game in the playoffs, that they'll have a rough time. So I think they need to be playing a little more inspired than they played last night. I think they need to get off the high horse of undefeated stuff and just focus on going 1-0 every week, trying to put their best effort forward um, and give Miles Sanders, Sanders the ball. Like You got there with rushing attack. So I don't know why after all of these weeks that we've seen Jalen Hurts 100 yards and a touchdown, Jalen Hurts 50 yards and a touchdown, Miles Sanders had a great game. Why they went away from that, I don't know. But in the second half, when they were in a close game and down, he had 11 carries for 50 yards. So it's not like it was it was effective. Like, it was working. So they ran him one time in the first half. Like, to me, that makes no sense. And it's another reason that I'd probably worry about the Eagles going forward is outside of, yeah, no, I feel like, all those other teams I mentioned in the NFC have a better coach than Nick Sirianni. Like, I know it sounds crazy for me to be saying about an 8-1 coach, but you literally didn't – you passed the ball the whole first half. To me, that's a red flag. Um, we'll see if it comes back to bite them going forward. Um I had Dallas over Green Bay on my bet for the week as my number one bet for the week, actually. And uh, they lost. And I forgot that Mike McCarthy was, A, a bad big game coach, and B, a former coach of the Packers. And so I should have just known way better than to go with the Cowboys minus five on the road, so I apologize. It was a pretty good game. Um, it was interesting to see more of the flares between Matt LaFleur and Rodgers come out in the last couple of minutes when they got the ball back with 140 left in regulation and didn't try to score. Um, we'll see how that kind of plays out, like moving forward in the in the season and and after the season, um, I don't think it fares well for Matt LaFleur, to be completely honest with you, especially if they miss the playoffs this year. Um, 
But it was an overall good game. Tony Pollard started because Zeke was hurt, and he showed once again why he should be the number one back there instead of a split. Um, really like the player, and I think that he is going to be a coveted free agent going forward. I, I don't know why he would stay with the Cowboys, especially not exactly sure what Zeke's contract situation is, but if he's there for another year and you're telling him he's going to be split, I don't think that makes much sense for him. Um, and so I guess the final NFL uh, story is Odell Beckham got cleared to play. A lot of the Cowboys have been mentioning him in the media uh, as wanting him to come over there. Um, and it seems like, based on what he is saying, that uh, it's going to be between the Giants and the Cowboys. So I think he should personally go to the Giants. And I'm kind of saying that, one, because he would automatically be the number one receiver and kind of give them a different dynamic that they haven't had all season. I think it would help Darius Slayton, who's probably their best receiver right now, um, just have a lot more opportunities to be open because he's probably getting a lot of number one coverage right now. And if you move him over to the number two, maybe he starts playing a little bit better and getting more open. Um. I think for the story, for him, it would be great to kind of change around what happened the first time. I think the Giants fans would go nuts if he came back, especially if he came back and did good, especially if he came back, did good, and they win some playoff games. Um, so I think it's no doubt he should go to New York. I think with the Cowboys, like, I think that the Cowboys are a really good team. I think he would make them a lot better and probably into a Super Bowl contender because it would be pretty tough to guard a three-headed monster of those two, uh, Odell, CD. And then I I really like Michael Gallup. I think he's really good when he stays healthy. Um, so I think that would be a tough that would be a tough week for any team playing the Cowboys like to to prepare for that. Um but I think that in terms of the story, like I think it means a lot to him to go back and fix what happened with the Giants the first time and I think he should go there to do that to make an entire fan base go nuts and to try to, to try to win. I don't know how much I don't know that the Giants have a better chance than the Cowboys to do anything in the playoffs. Like, based on whose team is better, I think you would have to say the Cowboys, right? But the Cowboys' playoff history isn't great. While the Giants is much better. I feel like any time they get in outside of the one year with the banana boat, which is literally the last time that they were there, and that was... Odell's like basically fall start of the falling out. So it would just be a good full circle moment for him, especially if he could bring some, some playoff wins with him. Um, 
from his stint in LA. I think people would be fired up for that. So uh that's the NFL news. I mean, the Giants, they played the Texans this week. They did what they were supposed to do, won a game. Um I thought it was really awesome that Lawrence Cager was picked up off of the Jets practice squad, added to the Giants roster, and he scored. And then the entire uh, Jets roster while they were on the bye basically posted only that clip the whole day. I feel like I saw it from uh, Sauce, Michael Carter, Elijah Moore, uh, DJ Reed, I think, posted it, Quinnen, so couple of guys on Instagram, Garrett Wilson as well, uh, posted like all fired up for, for Cager who spent parts of the last two or three se- or two seasons, excuse me, with the Jets on the practice squad. Um, so I think that was pretty cool that, that they were showing love for their, for their friend and an old teammate. I think the giants, like I said, did what they had to do. Didn't really see the game, um, was, was at, um, Unfortunately, a rehab center for my grandfather who broke his hip recently. So, um, Grandpa, if you're listening, love you. Hope you're feeling a little bit better, and I'm sure I'll see you uh, over the next few weeks, a couple times over there, and try to bring the spirits up and hopefully get you back to uh, to getting on your feet. But didn't see the game. The Giants took care of a team that that they were better than like that's the way that it should be when you're when you're six and two and now seven and two um let's see who they play this week they play the lions at home so another game that you that you gotta feel good about hopefully they aren't looking forward to the to to thanksgiving a little bit too early and they can take care of another team that they're they're better than the Lions have played better the last two weeks. They beat the Bears in Chicago last week. And the week before, I believe they're on a two-game winning streak because they beat the Packers. So they had two NFC North victories for, for Dan Campbell. Pretty cool. Um, so now the Giants just have to take care of another team that they're better than, something they've been doing. Um, so shout-out to my friends that are all Giants fans like I I have no ill will towards any fan right now like I think it's nice to see the fact that the Giants fans are reacting this way to them being good because it's not like they know that the Giants team in terms of talent it's not up there with the other teams that they are better than in terms of record or near in terms of record but nonetheless, they're there. And like, once you strap up for 60 minutes, like anything can happen. You, you've seen it in the NFL all season. If you've been paying attention for longer than just the season, you've seen it for multiple seasons. Like once you strap up, you got to play 60 minutes. Anything can happen. So the fact that the Giants are there, people are excited. They're not going to go out there saying, oh, here comes the Super Bowl because they no one knows that. Even if you're the Eagles, you're not, you can't be, oh, here comes the Super Bowl. Anything can happen on any given week. The Giants are just excited to have a chance to either, you know, at, at least be in the playoffs. If not, host a home game if they win the division, which would be crazy. So 
Lions this week, they'll be a good tie. They'll be a good fight for the Giants, but I think they're a little bit better. Just got to take out Amon Ra and not let him kind of go off for 150 yards on you. But that hasn't really been the Giants' problem this year, so they'll be all right. The Jets are playing their biggest game, folks, in in seven years since once again since 2015. Uh, week 17 in Buffalo. Um, the Patriots are five and four. They are four and one since, yeah, they're four and one in their last five. They're off the bye as well, so they'll be pretty well prepared. We're on a big losing streak to the Patriots, haven't beaten them. Um, I honestly don't think since since 2015, the game that I was at that I was mentioning earlier, the Eric Decker overtime. So um, this is one of the better defenses, if not the best defense in the NFL. Uh, and we need to come out and play uh, mistake-free football, whether that be the quarterback, Running backs have to hold on to the ball. Receivers can't be dropping balls. And on the other side, defense has to be locked in, but they have been all year, so I'm not as worried about them. Um, and, we're, it's, you know, I'm not – I think going into the Patriots game the first time, I thought, like, oh, we're going to whip their ass, and I think the Jets thought that too. I think now they are a little bit more humbled – because they weren't they were on a four game winning streak going into that game. They also feel like when they prepare well and put forth a great effort that they can beat anybody because they did that against the Bills. I think it's going to be a dog fight the whole way, but I think we can pull this one out. And when you pull in if you do pull this one out, you are in the division lead because I think the Dolphins are on the bye and you beat them. And that means that you're in one of the top two seeds in the AFC. And for a fan base that every year has been at this time wondering, are we going to be pick one or two? And now it's instead potentially AFC seed one or two. Um, it's it's an awesome feeling. I would say that we deserve it, but I don't know that any NFL fan deserves anything like yeah, at the end of the day, it's a game. Like, it's other people's lives at stake. Like, they should care a lot more than we do. I'm sure they do care a lot more than we do, regardless of, you know, our, you know, all the talking heads going off every week and, oh, this one did this, this one did that. But um, I'm excited for both teams. I feel like it's been the same story every week. Giants keep doing their business. Jets are playing their, you know, both teams are playing their biggest game in, in years every week, it feels like, and hopefully the winning continues. So uh, last segment is the college football segment, and there's not much change from last week. Uh, the top five stays the same. Georgia uh, is number one, Ohio State number two, Michigan three, TCU after being seven-and-a-half-point dogs in Austin, takes the victory. Um, 
an overall solid game by TCU. I saw a lot of it, and I feel like coming out of it, like I understand that it's Big 12 football and defense is usually not as good in that conference compared to others, but TCU looked like a legit defense, and I only say that because B. John Robinson ran for like 200 yards in almost every game, and he didn't do that in this game. And they didn't let Xavier Worthy, the best receiver, get loose either. So it feels like that was a good, good win for them. The problem is that they play Baylor now this week. And they will play one of Baylor and Texas again in the championship game. Uh, and I, I think that's still rough for them to get through. Like, I'm very impressed by their win. It's not that I'm not impressed. It's just those are two tough teams to play, and you have to play one of them again. Um, you have to figure that if you're TCU, like I don't think they're thinking, oh, there's a good game to lose here, but probably would be to lose now, like this week to Baylor. Because then if you win in the championship game, you you have you should get in still. Maybe you don't, but um definitely the focus should be winning out, because uh, that makes it automatic. And I also think that TCU matched up with one of these Big Ten teams could keep in the game. I think that the only way Georgia plays a close semifinal game is if it's against Tennessee, and that is only because they've already played this year. And I think that the crowd had a big factor in Tennessee's offense just being crap. The Tennessee defense, like I said last week, I think played pretty good against Georgia, and I would like to see a, a rematch because I think everyone would write Tennessee off, and I think they could keep that one close. Um, so the top five stays the same. Tennessee played um, Missouri, and in the fourth quarter, it was getting out of hand. They brought in the backup Joe Milton, who was formerly of Michigan, and they let him unleash a couple of deep throws. Uh, Chris Falca, who's the bear on uh, the ESPN College Game Day show, was crying that they did that. I mean, listen, people are looking at resumes. Like, no one's going to look at the score and say, oh, but they put up two touchdowns with the backup in the last three minutes. No, they're just going to look at the number, and they're going to look at the early parts of the game and see how they looked. Um, Tennessee is in a pretty good spot because one of Ohio State and Michigan has to lose, and once they do, Tennessee's resume is better, and so they'll automatically be above the loser of that game. And then if TCU loses... They'll be above TCU as well, so they'll automatically be in. They just have to take care of business these last two weeks, and I think they can do that. Um, they've only shown that they can't take care of business at Georgia. So um, LSU survived the scare against the backup quarterback of Arkansas. USC is 7, Bama's 8, Clemson's 9, Utah's 10. Penn State and Oregon are 11 and 12, and that leaves my – North Carolina Tar Heels at 13. Drake May pulled out another awesome performance. 
He's number one in pass yards. He's number one in passing touchdowns. He's also number one on the team in rushing yards. I don't know what the hell any of these ESPN guys are looking at. He needs to be in New York at least taking second in the Heisman, if not first. I feel like I'd be pretty confident if uh, Blake Corum like, won it over him. I wouldn't feel as bad because the kid has over 1,000 rushing yards already and 18 touchdowns, and there's still three more games for him to play if Michigan beats Ohio State. Um, so I would be comfortable if he won, but I feel like if you're going to say it's another quarterback, I don't think you can. Um, unfortunately, both Carolina and Clemson lost to Notre Dame. I would love to see what the rankings would look like had both of those teams beaten Notre Dame. Like I, I don't know how you could tell Clemson and Carolina that an undefeated season right now wouldn't put them above all of the other teams that haven't that have a loss. So like you'd probably have to slot them in five and six. And then, you know, it'd be interesting to see what they would have to do there, but that's not the case. I still think the ACC is done. I only think the way it's not done is if a lot of bedlam happens in front and then Clemson beats us in the championship, they will never put the North Carolina Tar Heels in that game. And Although I would like to see it as a fan of the Tar Heels, especially what happened uh, against Clemson on the onside kick uh, a couple years ago, like at the end of the day, it would just be to lose to Georgia. And I am assuming that Georgia is going to blow LSU out of the water in the SEC championship game. Um, like winning the ACC championship to be ranked four just means you go into a game against Georgia where the offensive line is in a rough spot against that Georgia defensive line. Like maybe Drake may pulls a rabbit out of the hat, but I wouldn't really expect them to do it because that's just a tough mismatch in the trenches. And I think we'd have a really rough time. Like however good you think Michigan is compared to North Carolina. Well, Michigan lost by 30 points to Georgia last year. So Carolina, and I have no problem with them not being, you know, I was a little mad when it came out, but I kind of looked at what the BCS rankings would have been. I looked, you know, and Carolina 13 is probably fair. I don't think, I think maybe they should be ahead of Penn State and Oregon and Utah, but it's understandable. Like I feel like the Pac-12 is a lot better than the ACC this year, so they're they're over. You know, they're they're compensating for that and allowing these teams to lose a little bit more than than what it would normally take to be into the into the college football playoff running. I guess you want to say. Um, so we'll kind of see what happens here. I don't think there's any real big time game this week i feel like all of the sec teams outside of tennessee who play south carolina which that'll be a joke play out of conference which is weird um i don't even know who carolina has to be honest which is a little nerve-wracking 
USC does play UCLA, and I know UCLA is going to be on my picks, um, and not because I have any real reason behind that. It's just going to be another one of those. I don't like this team, and I want to bet against them. Um, so I guess that'll be a good way to segue into the picks. The college football picks went two and one last week for a fifteen and twelve overall record, and the number one confidence is UCLA, the Bruins over USC. Um, USC, I just feel like they haven't had an inspiring game where I was like, all right, they have beaten this team that is pretty good and beaten them by a lot. Even if you go back to early games in the season, um, they played Stanford uh, Stanford, they only beat by 13, but that was early on. Uh, Arizona State at home. Arizona State was 1-3 and three at the time. They won by 17. Washington State, they beat by 16. They lost to Utah at Utah. The next week, it was a close game with Arizona. Um, the week after that, a close game with Cal. They played Colorado and, and whipped Colorado, but this UCLA team is going to be a lot tougher than all of those teams that they've played so far. UCLA lost to Arizona. I think they just kind of got caught looking ahead, and it's one of those lines where, like, especially based on the fact that I just told you Arizona won against UCLA, that I feel like a lot of people are going to roll in on USC and I would like to be on the other side of that. I really like Dorian Thompson Robinson. He has having a pretty good year. Zach Charbonnet, who is also a Michigan former Michigan running back, has 1,145 rushing yards and 13 touchdowns. So it seems to me like the they're going to have to deploy like the commander's style here and run the ball. Um, they are averaging 240 rushing yards per game this season. So run the ball, keep UCLA or USC's offense off the field. And also I think USC's running back, Travis Dye is out for the year, got hurt last week. So I feel pretty good about UCLA plus two and a half. Um, and we will move on to pick number two. Uh, folks, this podcast is being recorded in the wee hours of Wednesday, the 16th. And given the fact of what uh, everything else I've talked about, especially the, um, especially the earlier parts of the episode, I didn't really have a full, uh, pick. Um, slate prepared here. So it's another one of those ones where I'm just kind of going by the what I'm seeing and just kind of going for it. Um, I would like to take Oregon minus three. I know I just took both Pac-12 top uh, 12 matchups or top 15 matchups. Oregon, tough loss this week at home versus Washington, taking them out of the running for the most part of the college football playoff. Um, 
I just think it's a good way to bounce back. Utah, I feel like home home team, yeah, they're probably going to be in a good spot to win this game, but Oregon's the home team. Um, Utah has already lost on the road at UCLA, and they lost to Florida in week one. So... It's tough. Not sure what to make of this team. I know Cameron rising since that big shootout with Ohio State last year has had another good season this year, um, the quarterback of Utah. But I just think Oregon gets back on the right side of things. They're still playing to represent the Pac-12 as the champion. Like I think if they win this game, And I think if they win this game, their next game is against Oregon State. So I think as if they win out, they're still in the playoff, or excuse me, in the Pac-12 championship game because the top two teams in the conference are USC and Oregon, and the next two are Utah and UCLA. So basically... The winner of these two games, you have to feel like, has a, a pretty good shot of getting in. Um, and I, I'd like to take the home team minus the three. So, Last but not least, I'm going to go Kansas plus nine. I know I've just been on Kansas all season. Um, they are already in the bowl. I don't imagine a scenario where a six and four Kansas, a uh, Texas team, excuse me, comes in and is able to stay, you know, is able to cover nine points like Kansas plus nine at home. I feel like this has been the story all year where they're just uh, dogs by like a big number and you have to feel like they can do that number. Uh, I know that Jalen Daniels returned from injury, but they still played this kid, Jason Bean, anyway, and he's having a good year. Um, both of them are real good dual-threat quarterbacks, and I think that could pose a threat to the Texas defense, even though it wasn't really something that TCU exploited last week. But I just think Kansas plus the nine points is a little bit too much for a team at home that has the same record as Texas. So. Those are my three picks, um, and we'll move on to Sunday's matchups. Uh, so we'll go with two. We'll go with two games, and then one prime time. I feel like that's been I've been trying to pick a prime time game every week, um, and maybe we'll we'll pick four. Who knows? Um, Buffalo versus Cleveland. The over-under is 43. I'm going to go under, and I would pick this game now. I think in the um, in the forecast is a big snowstorm in Buffalo. It doesn't seem like it's going to get bad until after the game's over, but it's going to be snowing during the game. Um, and knowing how 
my picks are and my predictions, it'll probably not snow at all. Who knows? But for right now on the forecast, snow. Josh Allen has been throwing the ball to the other team a little bit recently. I don't think that it necessarily continues a hell of a lot against the Browns, but if it is going to snow, they might keep it on the ground a little bit more. I think their defense will take care of the Browns just fine. And I like under 43 in Buffalo as my number one pick. Number two, uh, I can't believe I'm going to do it, but I'm going to go Bears plus three on the road against the Falcons. Um, it's been an interesting discourse about Justin Fields this season because at first it was, well, maybe he stinks and we need a new guy. Um, and the discourse has kind of changed here to the point of now it's like, well, he's pretty good, but there's not a lot around him to win. And I think that's pretty fair to say, um, you know, the, the knock on Justin Fields will be that he's doing that a lot of his efficiency has to do with the fact that he can run the ball like that. Um, and I think that every NFL quarterback does some things well and some have God-given talents like Justin Fields to run the ball. And it's up to the defend the defensive staff to stop it. I think that the fact that Justin Fields will be able to run for 100 yards in this game, as he already has 750 rushing yards this season, um, could pose a threat for the Falcons' defense. It feels like the games they're supposed to win, they lose. The games they're supposed to lose, they win. Uh, they're favored in this game, so I'm going to go on the opposite side. I'm going to go with the Bears. I, I, I believe in Justin Fields enough to beat the the Falcons here, and uh, I think the Falcons are only one game out of the NFC South. I think they're going to keep plummeting downwards, um, and so I have Bears plus three. And last but not least, we need a primetime game. The Chiefs play the Chargers this week on Sunday Night Football. The Chiefs are a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I feel like this is a scenario where the Chargers will be seven and a half point dogs by the time kickoff starts. And I'd probably want to be on that side of things instead of on the side that I just took. But the Chargers are just an awful, awful second half team um, the entire season. I think in the division... It's always going to be a tough game, but I just don't think that the Chiefs are going to play down to the competition of the Chargers. And I know that the Chargers' record isn't even bad at 5-4. and four, But, I mean, they, they were in the driver's seat of that game, it felt like, against the 49ers last week. And then they come out and put up zero points. I think that their coach is bad at adjusting to what the team is doing. I think he's just not a good coach in general, not a good play caller. There's not a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball outside of the quarterback and the running back. Um, I think the Chiefs 
are going to have have their way with the Chargers. So those are the picks. The NFL picks have been bad. The college football picks have been good. Um, and that is Go Be Great, episode 20. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Um, we will be back next week for Go Be Great, episode 21, which figures to feature uh, a lot of Jets and Giants once again. I feel like it's just going to keep keep going down the stretch, folks. Giants win. Jets win, hopefully, we'll be speaking about. Um, and presumably, our first hockey segment, because the Devils have me fired up with a 10-game 10, 10 winning streak. Other than that, um, can't really predict much for what's going to be covered there, but I will say that you're going to see me once again on Wednesday morning. Um, and it'll be the day before Thanksgiving. So maybe to kind of go with the whole ranking or list that we made here this week with my top 20 athletes, maybe I will rank my favorite holidays with Thanksgiving coming up. Maybe I'll rank my top five dishes during Thanksgiving. And I know you're going to say five dishes. How do you eat that much? Well, clearly you've never been at an Italian family's Thanksgiving where, uh, you know, you sit down probably at about halftime of the 1230 football game. There's soup. Well, no, uh, I've skipped a part. There's the auntie past, uh in the beginning, you know, all of your uh, charcuterie boards. If, if you're more, you know, looking for the American term, um, all that stuff. Then we have a soup. Then a pasta, then the meats all, and you know, then the dinner comes out, which is turkey, ham, um, all sorts of potatoes. Uh, we have spaghetti pie, so maybe we'll rank that. Um, I'm excited about Thanksgiving. I think it'll be a good sports day. I think just the week in general, because the World Cup will start, so maybe we'll have some World Cup stuff next week. So. Tune in next week, folks. It's going to be a jam-packed episode in which I'm not sure exactly what's going to be on it, but I know that I'll be here, and I'll be giving you guys my takes, and uh, I hope you guys have a great day, and go be great.